a subject matter that I am very familiar with, but the, the key for me today is, is what's the Spirit saying to us today, right now, right now, in this particular context. And last week was Pentecost Sunday. Anybody remember that? Pentecost. And I preached along that line, but I preached it in a little bit different angle. So today I'm going to bring a little bit greater clarification. The service was so impacting during worship last week, it shortened my preaching time up, but that's all right. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. It's from glory to glory. We're building upon. We're not going back to, we're building upon what happened last week. And I'll tell you what, we've been saying this for some time, but I'll tell you, you can start to, for lack of better words, you can start to feel it. We're on the edge of a revival. We're on the edge of something. Aren't we, church family? We are. An awakening is taking place. Like Ezekiel in the days where it says he spoke and prophesied to the dry bones. Things that once lived now is alive again. God's moving by spirit and we're grateful for it. I'm going to go to Joel, the second chapter. It's been quoted many times uh, because it was quoted by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. We're going to read these two verses very quickly in the second chapter to the 28th and the 29th verse. These are the words that were quoted by the Apostle Peter as he gave, as he gave uh, explanation to what took place as the uh, apostles and those that were gathered with him somewhere in the courtyard of the temple on the day of Pentecost when they began to speak with other tongues. He alludes to this passage of Scripture. He says that this is that, what he said in the book of Acts. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So that particular day that took place on the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of what had been prophesied several hundred years earlier by the prophet Joel. In the 28th verse, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men or your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. I believe also that it, it speaks of here uh, other things as well, but we're going to draw that line and we're going to quickly leap over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look up just one verse of scripture that the Apostle Paul says here in the fifth chapter. It's very familiar to uh, people that have studied the scriptures. But it's just, it's just kind of on my heart. I think it's correlation. Let's just connect it to it as well. It says in the 18th verse, And do not be drunk with wine, or be not drunk with wine. King James English says, Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Listen, I want God to do something in the lives of all His children that transcends denominationalism. That goes beyond being Pentecostal in name or title or affiliation or denomination. But it's a personal experience where God is moving in your life in a powerful way. We don't necessarily have to walk away and call ourselves the Spirit-filled, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Holy Roller, any such thing. The key is, is as the Apostle Paul writes here, be filled with the Spirit. If you look at this, this is actually a command. Paul is speaking to the church. He is literally commanding us, saying, be filled with the Spirit. That's the will of God. If we read the 17th verse, it would have spoke to us about that that's the will of God for your life in this sense. So God, whether or not that you were raised historically in a Pentecostal church or not, you're at least a believer in the doctrine that Pentecostals hold to or you would not be here today. Doesn't mean that you've spoken with other tongues. Doesn't mean that you would define yourself as being Pentecostal. But you are at least not alienated by the doctrine that Pentecostals hold and believe to once again, or you would not be in this house today. You did not come here to be a critic. You've not come to cause contention or strife or division or schisms. You've come to add your agreement. You have. You've come to add your agreement. And I want to encourage you today, if you've not received the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, listen, don't be satisfied with warming yourself up spiritually against somebody else's fire. Jesus said in John 7, out of your own belly shall flow rivers of living water. Listen, this is a personal response to the work of God's Holy Spirit, and we're going to trust God for something powerful right here in our midst today. Would y'all pray with me? Father, we're humbled today, humbled in this house, and we submit ourselves to you, and we willfully yield ourselves unto the Holy Spirit. Father, whatever 
uh, if there's whatever level of arrogancy or pride or envy or jealousy or carnality or dependency upon the flesh that I have previously exhibited, Father, I ask today that that be mortified in my life, put to death, God, because I remember the word of God that Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. If your spirit does not anoint and consecrate this moment, Father, then in the words of Paul, I'll be as a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. God, I'll, have, I'll simply be white noise to the people that are gathered here today. But Father, if you've sent me here with a word from heaven, then Father, in the name of Jesus, then I'll carry a prophetic anointing upon my life. And the word will be sown in the heart of a believer who's prepared beforehand to receive it. And I'm going to trust that when this day is done, men and women can say what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. No longer wine wherein is excess, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We love you and we're grateful for it today. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen and amen. Let me take just a moment of time, especially in light of the fact that we have so many visitors with us that have traveled here with the other side with our deep sense of appreciation. I want to say this very, very carefully to each one of you. Oftentimes, Pentecostal churches um, receive a little bit of a bad rap. And listen, it diminished, we're diminished in comparison to generations that have gone by where Pentecostals were truly labeled holy rollers, were not accepted into the mainstream evangelical church, Many times that the greatest persecution that the Pentecostal believers of 70 and 80 years ago received was not from the heathen. It was from other Christians. Other believers thought that they were, they were uh, in heresy or they were uh, in, given to witchcraft and they were uh, not interpreting the Word of God and misplacing the Word of God. But now a hundred plus years later and today the strongest, fastest growing movement within the body of Christ is Pentecostalism. And from a humble beginning of 110 years ago, now Pentecostalism, spirit-filled movement has swept to over 600 million adherents worldwide, making it by far the longest singular branch of the Protestant church. And that's not a sense to, uh, of any type of arrogance. That's just simply saying that God said he would pour his spirit out on all flesh. Now, sometimes those that judge Pentecostals think that that's all we talk about. They think that that's the only doctrine that we know is speaking in other tongues or prophetic gifts. I mean, no, that's not the case. If you follow the teaching of our church, we are very varied in our teaching. We have different types of doctrine. We teach all along the bloodline. We teach all along the covenant that Jesus Christ provided through his atoning blood. We teach about uh, family and relationships. And typically, I would preach a... Uh, some type of patriotic message today because patriotism is uh, very important to me. I believe in those things. So we don't simply talk only about the work of the Holy Spirit. But in like manner, though, I don't want to ever diminish perhaps the most important doctrine apart from salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is it is the will of God. Peter said this on the day of Pentecost to the Jewish people. He said, this promise is to you, your children, and your children's children. It's as many as the Lord our God should call. Now, I know this today, that this doctrine is not embraced by everybody within the body of Christ. And you have to be very, very careful if you Google search, speaking in other tongues or Pentecostalism or the Spirit-filled movement, because you will get just as much negative instruction and information as you do positive. And I want you to know that the devil will use good people. The devil will even use godly people to create unbelief in your heart and your mind concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it comes back to an interpretation of the Scripture. Cessationists believe that with the death of the last apostle or with the full canonization of the Scriptures, then the gifts, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased or passed away. But it is our belief that the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will remain in effect until Jesus Christ returns in all his glory. It's our belief that it's the will of God for his children to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, to covenant and to covet after these things. Now, last week I talked about 
the day of Pentecost very quickly. And I want to make sure that I clarify something very uh, quickly this morning. And I did so on Wednesday night, but allow me to do so today. I shared with you in the sense of the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost simply means harvest or feast of weeks is what it meant to the Jewish people. It was held 50 days after Passover. Many believe that it coincided with the giving of the law, the original Passover when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, when God passed over the children of Israel dwelling in Egypt to bring judgment upon the Egyptians, and he passed over their homes because they had the blood of the Lamb applied. Remember the scripture says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the feast that came forth from that was called the Feast of Passover. But Moses gave instruction to Israel later that every year, 50 days after Passover, seven weeks plus one, there would be one day, a day of celebration, and a feast called the Feast of Harvest. Now, it celebrated the harvest, not like it did during the first fruits. The first fruits was in anticipation of the coming of the harvest. But the Feast of Pentecost was a celebration of the harvest that was taking place concurrently, that would, uh, that would not yet end and had not yet ended, but would go a little bit farther in the spring of the year. There would be a later feast in the fall of the year to celebrate the end gatherings when all the laborers would come out of the field because the annual harvest was now completed. So there was a part of it in celebration for the harvest. But the children of Israel began to develop an appreciation for Pentecost in the sense of they believed that it timed with the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. The scripture tells us that it was around 50 days after that original exodus that they arrived at the base of Mount Sinai when the scripture says that Moses went up into the darkness where God was and he heard the authoritative voice of God and the people heard the voice of God speaking out from the cloud and Moses came down with the tablets of stone that were written upon by the finger of God. And so it was a celebration of the law of Moses, or what we call the, the Mosaic law, that God had given the law to men. But the powerful thing that took place on the day of Pentecost was, is that sometime, about the same time that the priest went into the holy place to raise up two pieces of bread and to do a wave offering before God, thanking Him for the Word of God or the law of God, the two tablets of stone, simultaneously, sometime in that same similar time frame, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and the other disciples. Many are associated with the upper room, but it was somewhere in the courts of the temple at Jerusalem. So you have to think about that for a moment. There's all of these Jewish men and women gathered as the priest goes into the holy place to hold up two pieces of bread to say, God, I want to thank you for the law. But while there's another group of people, they're fulfilling the word that Jesus told them. They tarried at Jerusalem where they're waiting for the promise of the Father. And when the priest is offering his wave offering, thanking God for the law, the Holy Spirit comes ushering in. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He comes ushering in and he divides and sits upon each one of them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them the utterance. Now, there's a twofold application of that. Number one, it says that God's Spirit's going to fall upon those that are truly sanctified, not by the Mosaic law, but by the power of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Right? And secondly, though, but it also shows us the fulfillment of the promise that was made that there would come a day and there would come an hour when God said that he would write the law on the fleshly tablets of our heart. And we would receive the indwelling spirit, the spirit of God on the inside of us. And that you and I now be able to follow God, not because, you know, I often point to the wall here because usually we have something tangible written and, and you can just get a mental picture. The law was a written document. And we don't follow God today because that written document is on the wall or in the book. We follow God because he's written the word of God on the tablet of our heart. I have a desire to follow him because God took his finger and he began to write on my heart so that I can serve God with joy. Father God, I'm so grateful for your kindness here today. But with that, I've always 
And I clarified this on Wednesday night. I, if you've not received what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we do not in any way want to diminish your relationship with God. And we are not in any ways in our capacity trying to say that you're a lesser believer or that you have not received the indwelling Spirit. I believe with all my heart that if you are genuinely born again, if you've been born again, that Jesus said you were born from above or you were born by the Spirit, that the Bible clarifies to us that His Spirit has joined with your spirit and declared you to be a child of God. And you are born again by the power, and you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You say, Pastor, I've never spoken other tongues. And you're saying, I don't have, no, I'm saying you don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I'm not saying that you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because I believe that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you're none of His, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter number 8. But I do believe that there is a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, including the infilling of the Holy Spirit that will forever mark your life. It can change how you worship God. It can change how you understand the Scriptures. It can change how you function in ministry. Because with this, baptism comes an anointing of God. The power of the Holy Spirit rests upon you. Suddenly, words begin to flow out of you that you were not trained or that you had not learned. A boldness can begin to come upon you. I'm not saying every person will immediately be as bold as the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, but there will be a shift inside of you towards an urgency of the hour that it's no longer time to be silent, but that God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And God's anointed you and your life and the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit is a testimony of the good things of God in your life, and He's emboldened you to be His witness. Now, I could give you list after list of a multitude of reasons that you ought to earnestly desire the best gifts. You ought to seek earnestly and pray and say, God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I, can, I have taught this over and over and over again. But I want to just pick it up here today under the context that I just feel led at right now. And I feel led in this sense right here. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you with the marvel of Pentecost today. And I'm going to use that word, if that's okay. Does everybody understand what I mean when I say the marvel of Pentecost? I'm relating that to the Spirit-filled experience. Joel prophesied something so unique that the people had not ever heard that before. Joel said these words. Peter had no understanding of it until the Holy Spirit illuminated his eye that day. Joel said... There's coming a day when the work of God is going to be so marvelous that he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. Now, if you don't catch that, you're going to miss one of the key components of unlocking this thing in your life. If you follow the history of the children of Israel, and when you read the scriptures, there are some powerful men and women of God in the Old Covenant. And they had a mighty visitation of the Holy Spirit. And God would use many of these men and women. Come on. But these were, if we're being honest, a select group of men and women chosen beforehand by the predetermined counsel of God to serve either as a prophet or a prophetess. That could be the male or female component. A prophetess perhaps would have an anointing on her life. Much of this was related to the male world of the Jewish people. The king could have an anointing upon his life. And certainly the priest could have an anointing on his life. But the common person, the common parishioner in ancient Israel, there's very little record of the Spirit of God falling upon them. Now when you read about the exploits of men like Samson, we understand the Bible says the Spirit of God began to move Samson at times in the camp of Israel. We understand like David Someone chosen beforehand by God, the Spirit of God came upon him. He did great exploits with the sword or with the sling. But we don't think about just the common handmaid or the common field servant or the homemaker wife or just the common businessman who's raising a family and got a business in ancient Israel. There's no real record of God's Spirit coming upon that person. But Joel prophetically declared that there was going to come a day. 
when you didn't have to be a priest? Are you catching that? There's such a powerful principle that we've got to catch. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to have attended the school of Elijah or Elisha. You didn't have to catch the mantle of Elijah beside the brook that day. But rather, the Scripture says there's going to come a day when God said, I'm going to make this thing so inclusive. I'm going to allow you to come into my covenant relationship through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, that if you're a handmaiden or a servant, if you're an old man or a young man, whether you're poor or whether you're wealthy, it matters not. If your heart's ready, God said, I'll pour my spirit out upon you and you'll have the unction of God in your life. Now, I tell you, that's good news for me today. I'm grateful that the Spirit of God could come upon my, my family, my children, and my children's children. Listen, when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I've shared this testimony before, but I wasn't raised in Pentecostalism. I was raised in and out of church, not, uh, going to church part of the time, but not all the time, but typically it was in a Baptist church. And so I wasn't aware of these things. I was aware of them just through the little bit of knowledge that I knew, but I didn't understand it fully and, and such. But when I got around 16 years of age or 17 years of age, I accepted the call to preach. And I began to preach when I was 16. And in my mind, I could close my eye and I could see myself preaching one way. But when I would take the pulpit, I, hadn't had, I didn't have the boldness. I didn't have that unction. I knew there was something else waiting on me. And so I, I began to uh, work at Town & Country here at the, uh, Heber Springs right here uh, off of, uh, what is that, 7th Street? Is that 7th Street right there? And, and I worked there. And I met a man by the name of Ray Cother, and I've told this testimony before. And Brother Ray and I began to study, and he was the founding member of the Prevailing Word Christian Center here in Heber Springs, and he was charismatic. And so he began to teach me, and I began to study with him, and I began to, uh, began to learn a little bit more about this spirit-filled movement. I began to be drawn that way. And, and I know that there were some in the Baptist church at Wilburn that I was attending. They knew I'd accepted the call to ministry, and I knew they knew I was being influenced on this other end a little bit. And I remember meeting someone along the way that said, uh, Lee Brown, if you'll come over to my house, I'll pray with you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I wanted that. I wanted it. I had heard others. You know, every now and then you hear me say, Shatakaya Mosia. Number one, this week I got a text from somebody two weeks ago, and finally I know how to spell it. Somebody spelled it out. <laughs> they sold their house miraculously, and they sent me a text, Shatakaya Mosia. And I say that because... There at the church, the Prevailing Word Christian Center, there was a little lady. And whenever she felt the Spirit of God come upon her, she'd throw her hand up and she'd say, Shatakaya Mosia. And so I asked Brother Ray about it, and he said it probably simply means praise the Lord. We don't know that for sure. It may mean bless the bald-headed youth pastor. I don't know. If it does, then I need to say that. Isn't that right? Shatakaya Mosia. And so I went over to this brother's house, and and I was hungry, and he prayed with me. And I'll tell you what, and I had that awkward experience. How many of you know there can be an awkward experience related to the power of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes there's confusion related to it. Sometimes you feel pressure to do something or to say something or have a response. And man, I didn't know, and I was, you know, I believed God, but it just wasn't flowing. And, and I do believe that I spoke in something, but I can't say it was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I felt that I felt the uh, I might have had that mimicking thing going on. I'm just being honest with you. And so I went home and I was a little bit confused, and I struggled with it. And I went to the scriptures and I, I began to read in First Corinthians 14, uh, where it said, "He that it talks about speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues that we have to distinguish between the baptism and the Holy Spirit." And in the gift of tongues, Paul said, do all speak with tongues? The obvious answer was no. Does all minister in the gift of tongues? No. But can the Holy Spirit come upon each of us with the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Then yes. I know that now, but I did not know that then. And I felt a sense of relief because I was, it was so awkward to me. And it just didn't feel right. There was no true baptism of power. I want the baptism and power. That's what I want for your life. I want something that will mark you differently. Well, Sherry and I got married in May of that year. And uh, thank you for all those that wished us happy anniversary this week as we celebrate 32 years of marriage. I appreciate all the kind words that y'all said. And so we got married, and I was still working at Town & Country. And 
I end up taking my summer vacation or my or a week vacation um, early. We we're going to be uh, leaving in August as Sherry was finishing up college at Conway. And um, so I was working at home that week on a hot summer day. And I finished up some stuff. We were staying at my mom and dad's house at that particular time and out in Wilburn. And I went in. Nobody was there uh, at, during the course of that day. And so it was lunchtime, and I was uh, having some lunch. And Brother Ray had given me, anybody remember VHS? Not beta, VHS. Now, the younger generation, they're like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about right here. But a VHS tape of Morris Sorello preaching the gospel. And so I, it was hot out there. It was a really, really hot day. It was probably somewhere around July, sometime in there. And I plugged that in. And Morris Sorello was preaching. And as he was preaching, about a halfway through his message, he, and this was a pre-recorded VHS tape. And he did like this. He pointed in the television camera like that. Now, this wasn't him at his desk. This was a big host of auditorium. Thousands of people gathered there. And he said these words. He said, right now, there are young men watching this message on television. He said, get down on your knees right where you are, and God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And at 17 years of age, I dropped down on my knees just like this in my mom and dad's living room. And I lifted both hands up to heaven, and I said, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And out of my innermost being, a river of living water flowed. And the Spirit of God came upon me from that day forward. From that day forward. How do you know it, Pastor Brown? Because there was a noticeable, tangible difference. The unction of God that I had so longed for before, then suddenly I began to see it work in my life. I began to find an unction in prayer. I began to find a deeper component in prayer. And then when I began to preach, things began to shift a little bit different. I can't say I suddenly walked out of that prayer time and I could preach like the, the hero of preaching in those days was Jimmy Swaggart. The only thing I could do like Swaggart was shake the Bible. That's the only thing I could do. But I will say this, I began to find that freedom. I began to find that anointing. I began to find that when I went to prayer, there was an unction of the Spirit of God in my life and that I could reach a certain height in prayer. But then when I reached a certain place and I didn't know what to pray for beyond it, then out of my own belly began to flow a river of living water and I could pray unto God in a heavenly language. And the Bible says I've since learned in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, he that speaketh in the unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, albeit in the Spirit he speaketh in mysteries. And that word mysteries means the hidden things of God that are now being revealed. And so in that moment when I don't know what to pray for and you as a parent ought to long for this with all of your heart because there's going to come a day and an hour when you need to pray for your children because the devil's come and launched a warfare against them and you don't know how to pray in a natural language but when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost then the Spirit of God will begin to rise up on the inside of you and then you'll be able to pray the perfect will of God. Come on, you'll be able to pray the perfect will of God and drive the devil away. Now, I've heard people say this, and I'm going to bring clarification. Some people say, well, you can pray to God in tongues, and he doesn't understand what you're saying. I don't go that way. You can go that route if you want to, but I go just the opposite. I want my adversary, and I want my enemy to know what I'm saying, because when I'm praying in the heavenly language, I'm declaring the prophetic word of Almighty God. I may be binding the devil in the spirit in that moment, and I want him to understand that I know who I am in Christ Jesus, and I know what he did for me at the cross and I know the blood covenant and the effects of it in my life and it becomes a part of who I am and here's the thing I want for you today church family I'm going again against the tide of today's modern culture and that is we want to be Pentecostal in doctrine in a book in a file cabinet somewhere but not in personal experience Here's the dilemma of Pentecostalism in today's generation. What are we going to do with it? The seeker-friendly culture has created a mindset that if a visitor comes to your church and they don't understand, Paul said that if you don't have some order to it, they'll think you're mad. I understand that. But I believe in the order associated with it. I do believe in it. And I believe that there are times like a moment like this of teaching and preaching. Paul said it, let it be at the most two or three. But I do believe that there are times when we can gather together here at this altar. Because I remember accounts in Scripture. 
The scripture says, listen to this. I want, you, I, want to, I want to pick this up for just a moment. I won't go to the text. You're going to read these on your own. But in the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, we find that Philip, the evangelist, had gone down to Samaria. And while there at Samaria, this is when the eyes of the apostles suddenly, suddenly started saying, wait a minute, this thing is bigger than what we thought it was. They started saying, wait, just because, see, the Samaritans were half Jews. They were considered mongrels to many of the elite aristocrats. But the, I want you to know that the common person, kind of even Jesus, of, uh, to a certain degree, because they were half Jews. But Philip went to Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. The Bible says there were miracles. There was great joy in the city, and there was the waters of baptism were being swirled, and, and they were celebrating all that God had done. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon those that had believed. That shows you in and of itself, Brother Tim, that there's a difference between being born again and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, how do we know they were genuinely born again? Well, they had received Christ. What more do you need right there? They were water baptized. There were miracles and there was great joy. Wouldn't you say that's a sign that somebody's received Christ? But the Bible says he had not fallen upon none of them. And so they sent Peter and John. And Peter and John come along and they lay hands on them. And when they lay hands on them, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes upon them. Now there's no record that they spoke with other tongues there. But Simon the sorcerer saw something tangible with his own eyes. And he wanted to buy that power. He went to the apostles and said, here, I'll write you a biggest check as I can. He said, then give me that power. And Peter said, may that request die with you if that's your motive. Come on, somebody. And so, but at the same time, it teaches us very quickly, number one, it reiterates what was said in Joel. So now these apostles are going to wait just a minute. This thing's a little bit bigger than when we thought. We thought this promise belonged to the Jewish people only, but now these half-bred Jews, mongrel Jews, the Samaritans, they've received the Holy Spirit as well, and we hear them speaking in other tongues. Remember what Joel said? Joel said, he said he's going to pour out his spirit. This is that. That's what Peter said. This is that what Joel prophesied, a day that the Spirit of God would come. And so they're going, my goodness, this thing's bigger. Bigger than just the Jewish people, it's even the half-bred Jews, the Samaritans. But just a little while later, Peter is at Joppa. It's a seaside city there in Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. He's staying at a house of Simon the Tanner. And he goes up to worship God on the housetop, the rooftop, and he sees a vision. He sees a vision of animals that were unclean. Unclean animals that a Jew wouldn't touch and a Jew definitely wouldn't eat. But Peter hears the voice of God in his ear. And Peter hears the voice of the Lord say, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter says, No, Lord, no, I've never eaten. We're talking about ham. <laughs> We're talking about catfish, scallops, and crab legs. Everything that you and I be like, Shatakai, Mosia. Peter was like, No, that's unclean. I'm not touching any of that stuff. And so, but then he heard the voice of God. God spoke to his heart and said these words, Peter, what I've called clean, I don't care who you are, you better not call unclean. And that happened three times, and then the, 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 the vision vanished. And simultaneously, three men were knocking on the door of Simon the Tanner. And so Simon answers the door and says, we've been sent, for, we, we heard that there's a man called Peter here. And the Spirit of God whispered in the ear, and Peter said, arise, go with those three men and don't ask them anything. And as they start going towards the house, he finds out that they're about to go into the house of a Gentile who is a Roman centurion. Number one, it's bad enough being a Gentile to a Jew. Number two, he's a hated Roman. Number three, he's in the army who are abusing the people of Israel, right? And now God is prompting him to go in the house. And so Peter goes in the house and he finds that Cornelius has his whole family gathered there, and they're all Gentiles. And he would normally not even go inside the door where those other Gentiles are at. But he said, I remembered that I heard the voice of God say, what I've called unclean. What I've called clean, you better not call unclean. So Peter takes a moment to begin to preach. And Peter begins to preach, and you know what he's preaching about? He's preaching about Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
He preaches about the power of the blood of Jesus. He said, you by wicked hands have taken and slain. He begins to tell them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And and as he's preaching the word of God, then suddenly a miracle takes place. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles that were gathered in Cornelius' house just the way that it had on the day of Pentecost. And Cornelius' family... Cornelius's family began to speak with, can you imagine that? No laying hands on anybody, no popping on the forehead, no uh, doing anything like that. Peter's just in the middle of his prayer. I'm sure he's got eyes like this. He's in shock that God would give that Gentile, that unclean Gentile, the same gift that he gave the clean Israelite. But what he was learning was that the blood of Jesus Christ uh, was so sufficient that it didn't just wipe away the sin dead of all born of Abraham, but it wiped away the sin dead all born of Adam and whether you were male or female whether you were black or white or Jew or Gentile the grace of God was sufficient to allow you entrance into his heavenly kingdom and this was validated as the spirit of God fell on them glory to God and they're speaking in other tongues and they're prophesying you said pastor why do you bring that up because Joel prophesied of a day when God said, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men and your old men shall prophesy and dream dreams. I don't know about you, church. I want the power of the spirit of God in my life. I want the unction of the spirit of God. And I want the function of the spirit of God. I want to be able to prophesy over somebody's life. Let me say this to you today before I close here. The power of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the, in, the, in the initial physical evidence. We believe in speaking in other tongues. But let me tell you, we do not limit it. It's not just limited to speaking in other tongues. Oddly enough, tongues is not even mentioned in the prophecy by Joel. But Peter said what was happening on that day when they were speaking in other tongues was that which had been prophesied hundreds of years earlier. If you take the time to become a student of the Word of God, you'll find that Paul mentions at least nine distinct gifts of the Holy Spirit. We find that the Corinthian people were a people that were zealous of spiritual gifts. He commended them and he said, I, I, he said, I thank God that you come behind in no gift. But he gave them parameters in the usage of those spiritual gifts and we understand that. But here's my point for you today. It's got to start somewhere. There can, I want you to see this. Paul's addressing people that the gifts are active in and they've gotten out of order. So when that happens, you've got to give parameters. Because Paul said, listen, God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. But the point I want you to see is this. It had to start somewhere. The Corinthians were Gentiles that didn't know God. They were pagans filled with idolatrous Uh, fornicators is what they were the word Corinthianized means to be a fornicator but Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 when he listed all fornication, adultery homosexuality and other sins of the flesh and he said this and such were some of you But now are you justified, now are you sanctified, now are you washed by the cleansing fountain of the blood of Jesus Christ. So they were were Gentiles, they were filthy Gentiles, but they were dipped in a fountain that flowed with the blood of Jesus Christ, and now they're clean before God, and God had filled many of them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the point I'm making today as I close is this, it's got to start somewhere And it needs to start somewhere in your life. And you've got to determine in your heart and life, do you want to just believe in the power of the Holy Spirit or do you want to believe for the power of the Holy Spirit? The great dilemma that Pentecostals have in today's time is this. Is we don't give God time. We don't give Him time. The shifting culture of the church, churches we do away with our Sunday nights. Sunday nights is when people lingered. I've read the history of Pentecostalism many times. People would come out, 6 o'clock services, 7 o'clock. They didn't worry about a nursery. They didn't care about a nursery. Children would be crying, didn't matter. God was moving. Mama wouldn't go sit in the, in the nursing mother's room because she wanted the Holy Spirit to fall on her and her kids. She'd line them kids up under the seat and give them a coloring book if she had to. It didn't matter. 
But she wanted them in that environment because the promise was to her, to her children, and her children's children. But now we don't have time for that because we've got cable television. We've got all these things that's got to take place, and we don't want to give God any time. And us Pentecostals that want to pass the baton to you so that you can have what I got. I want you to have the experience that radically transformed my life when I was 17 years of age. But people don't give us the time. And so then they say, well, listen, you can't talk about, you can't preach radical like that, Pastor Brown, on a Sunday morning because somebody may have visited. And you know what? If they're a visitor and then somebody down the road says, shut and then they're going to go, oh, my God, what in the world was that? Listen, here's the way I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be honest, and this is not arrogance. This is not in any capacity trying to be evil or mean-spirited. If you want to attend a church that doesn't believe in it, then you've got the free moral will. You can go up the road, down the street. But here at First Assembly, we believe that the promise is to you, your children, and your children's children. Listen, I want to see fathers prophesying over their own children. Come on, I want to see you laying hands on. I, I get tired of, well, people think, well, then that's just us preachers wanting to lay hands. No, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested. The lay, me laying hands on you is not the issue. I want you having an anointing on your life till you feel emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit where you start laying hands on people. You have a prophetic in your life, and you can speak the prophetic word over your children. You can declare the good things of God upon them because you have a spirit of prophet inside of you. Come on, church family. And so as a church and as a pastor, I want that for you. I don't say this because I'm trying to be condescending. I want to encourage you. If you've not received, continue to seek. Amen. Man, continue to seek. Get along with God. I could have gave up. I could have stopped right where I was at and said, you know what? It just didn't feel right. And you know, man, I, I said a few gibberish things and it, you know, and, and it just didn't feel right. But no, there was something inside me that wanted more. There was something inside of me that said, God, I need this in my life. And so I put myself in a place, and I continued to seek after it until God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today. The promise is to you. Does that make sense here today? I know I'm probably right close to the noon hour. And I'm going to just tell you today, though, church family, we need this, and you need it. Come on, and I'm not trying to belittle a single person. A single person that's going to, if you walk out of here today... And I'm sure there will be men and women that will walk out today and you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I understand and all that. I'm just going to tell you if you do, seek it. Amen. Come on, make yourself available to God. Don't give up. Don't let the devil get an unbelief in your mind and say, well, it's for somebody else, but it's not for you. I'm telling you, it is for you. The prophetic giftings of God are for you. I believe with all my heart, God wants to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. Baptist, Methodist. Come on, it doesn't matter if you're sanctified by the blood of Jesus, justified by his redemptive work, then God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If you received the baptism in your life years ago, let me tell you, if it, and you're not praying in the Spirit on a regular basis, begin to stir up that gift of God. I'm telling you. I've been preaching now for 20-something years. No, no, 30 years. Forgot how old I am. Shatakai Mosia. I'm preaching now for, you know, that date was in 1986. Thirty years later, thirty years later, I still find I hear people talk about how to avoid burnout. I'll tell you how to avoid burnout. Keep the fire burning. That's how you avoid burnout. I tell you what, when you get overworked, you get downcast, you get alone with God, and you. You're like David. Come on, you start shaking that stuff off. When I don't have anybody to encourage me, I encourage myself in the Lord. When I don't have anybody to pat me on the back and say, Pastor Brown, you can do it. You can keep going. You can be, no. You know what I do? I get in his presence and I begin to sing psalms of praise and adoration. I lift up holy hands even when they're tired and, dis, and, and I'm downcast and disheartened. I lift them up and I worship God. And I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of me. And I pray in a heavenly language, whether I feel anything or not, whether I have a goose bump, whether anything comes on. And that doesn't matter because it's not a feeling I'm after. It's a force of faith that I'm after. And 
eventually I want you to know the crust the crust begins to break and then out of my own spirit begins to rise up on the inside of me a river of living water and I begin to prophesy in my own prayer chamber and I begin to worship God in an utterance and an unction and in an anointing and then when I get in the pulpit the next time I'm not bound to an anointing of days gone by I don't have to borrow this from R.W. Schambach or A.A. Allen I don't have to reach back into the archives of Pentecostalism and try to extract somebody else's anointing off of them because I can say God you promised you would pour your spirit out upon all flesh and here I am oh God and I found God to be faithful he's faithful so I want to ask you today I think it would be wrong if we didn't just fill the altar up today. I just heard the phone beep, and that's either you telling me or God telling me it's time to wrap up. So if Brother Aaron would come back to the piano today, we're at a crossroads, church family. We're at a crossroads. We either facilitate for it or it slips through our fingers, Gail. We either facilitate and we encourage. And let me say this. I never base the results of the effects of my preaching on what takes place immediately after the service. I learned years ago I can't do that because I'm the sower of the seed. God waters it, and at his time, he gives the increase. I've told this testimony before. She's deceased now, but I want to mention it again uh, just very quickly. I could remember up at Shirley. We had a moment like at Shirley like we're having right now where we were just, we would have those, just those little surges where the Holy Spirit would move and we'd see things happen in our midst. And, I remember preaching the Word of God, and, and maybe it was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we would lay hands on people, to, and, and uh, uh, some would receive, but not everybody would receive. But there was a little lady there named Brenda Simpson. Her name was Brenda Simpson. She lived down on the lake uh, there at uh, Edgemont, and so, or Higdon, excuse me, Hig, no, no, Edgemont, Edgemont. She lived down there on the lake, and she was from California. Uh, from there, and we had prayed for her, and she had not received, and, but she believed. Here's my word for you today. If you believe, you'll receive. If you believe, you'll receive. I'm just, you said, Pastor Brown, no, I don't want to hear, no, I'm just telling, that's my word of faith to you today. If you believe, you'll receive. Jesus said, if you knock, it will be open. He said, if you ask, you'll receive. He said, if you being evil know how to give good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so, Sister Brenda then told me later, she called me or she came by the church to tell me. She said, Pastor Brown, she said, you know, I've been seeking the baptism and I had not received. Y'all prayed with me and I had not received. She said, but the other night, about 1 a.m., I woke up in the middle of the night speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And from that time forward, I learned I learned, listen, it's not what happens here, it's what happens in there, inside here. It's not what happens at this altar. Now, this altar, good things can happen. I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from this moment, but I'm saying I can't judge the full effect of this message today by if you give me five minutes to pray with you or 15 minutes or whatever. I just want to sow the seed of faith in your heart, the promises to you. I wanted to share this with you today. And I wanted to use my own personal testimony because I wanted you to know that I remember the awkwardness of it. I remember the little bit of the confusion. I wasn't raised in Pentecostal. I didn't go to church camp. I didn't have people shatakaya and mosiyan over me every year until I finally received it. But I had a hunger in my heart at 17 that I needed something from God. And when I began to press in, I believe this, you draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I believe if you ask, you'll receive. So I want to ask you today in the name of Jesus. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we're just waiting on the presence of God today in the name of the Lord. I want to just start somewhere real quickly. It's right at noon. I know it is. I know it is. We've dismissed our PM prayer service for the memorial weekend, and we understand all that, and so that gives me a little greater freedom. Just being honest for you, I, I'm here to pray with people. If I need to pray, I'll pray as long as it's necessary here today. But if you're here today, first of all, I'm going to start with you here. Because I want you to be honest. It's about a witness. You're here today, 
and you say, Pastor Brown, first of all, I'm just a little bit awkward about it. I believe that I believe in it. I believe, actually, Pastor, I, probably, I, I do believe in it, but I'm still just a little bit awkward by it and I'm confused by it. Just pray for me, Pastor, that, that God would open my understanding. That, and listen, that's being real honest. That's not trying to draw you out and make it, you know, that's just you just saying, I just need God to help me in this. I want to ask you, no, nobody's looking but me. Raise your hand up if that's you. Some are already come to the altar. You know, some hands are going up. Thank God. Thank God for you today. Thank God for you today. I appreciate that honesty. Some are already coming to the altar. They're not waiting. If you want to come on, you come on. Number two here today, number two, you say, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown, today, you know, I received maybe years ago or maybe whatever, but, you know, I, I, I just don't pray regular in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm definitely not prophesying. And God, I, I, I just, I want that next level. I want to stir this thing up in my life again fresh. If that's you, slip your hand up here today. Let me see if there's a, just a lesser number, but several saying, you know what? That, that's me, Pastor. You're talking to me today right now. Here's the big number right here today. Here's the one, though. Number three. Who here today, though, would say, Pastor, you know, even this morning, I would like somebody to lay hands on me today. You, Pastor Jojo, and the other leaders of our church. And pray with me today that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit. If that's you, raise your hand up today. I see that hand today. Some other hands are going up today in the name of Jesus. Thank you today. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your faith here today in the name of Jesus. I want to ask every person to do something with me here today. Would we all stand up across this congregation today? Now listen, that was a trifold prayer uh, altar invitation. I want to ask you to do something. If you raise your hand, if you raise your hand, just come and begin to worship God. Just come and begin to worship. Now I want to say this to those of you that are leaving. If you've got to go, and I understand, ushers, I'll need your help in this. If you've got to go, just be respectful of people. I understand. I'm not going to judge you for why you're going. But, man, let me ask you to do one thing. Let me ask you to do one thing. If you've got to leave, let's not talk about the ball game. Let's not talk about barbecue and things of that nature. In the fall, you're right there, 50 feet away from others that are just seeking God. Man, be respectful. If you leave, you leave blessing them. If you leave, you, you leave saying, Father, I'm blessing those that are behind God. Feel them if you've got to leave. If you don't have to leave, come to the altar and just begin to pray. Come to the altar and help stir up the gift of God among us. Rekindle these things in your own heart and life. Those of you that are leaders and gifted in the Holy Spirit, men, if you want to begin to move to and fro and pray for people, I want to ask you to do so today. And I'm not ashamed to just say, I need this moment in my life today.